you know, played sports as a kid. I, I actually would quite like to be in a sports team, you know, mm-hmm. physically at, in peak condition, playing with, you know, essentially your pals, mm-hmm. going out and competing. And everybody was like, yeah, but, you know, that's kind of like, that, that's dream stuff. Right. Let's take that out of the equation. What would you do? And I'm like, this, actually what I'm doing yep. right now. Lewis Mosley. <laughs> did you notice I said it correctly? Yeah, I did. Thank you very much. Everybody says Mosley in the, in the States. Yeah. We went by a place in Lake Gunnersville, Alabama, where we are today, called Mosley Monogram. And I noticed you said, check out the place Mosley. Well, I'm, wait. <laughs> Everyone's been pronouncing your name wrong. Yeah. So part of it is from when I was a kid. Um, everybody used to nickname me Moz. M-O-Z. Oh. So the Mosley thing kind of keys into where that nickname came from. So also have it more than anything else. Yeah. So when you were a rugged center back from yeah. Birmingham, yeah. you were Moz? Yeah. So uh, it, it actually goes a bit further than that. So as a kid, it was Moza, but then people realized that that was too long for them to say. Like It's funny how people come up with various nicknames and then they mold them and recreate them. Right. Um, so Moz being the shortened version of Moz and it's kind of what my dad was called as a kid as well. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, it's like um, I started off being called Precious. Yeah. And it morphed into like most Precious. <laughs> I don't know. It's <laughs> it just went the other natural. way. It's just natural. <laughs> um, and so here we are. First of all, um, we, we've spent a day and a half together, but welcome to Thank Alabama. You. It's your first trip. It is. It's lovely to be here. Um, first impressions is... Um, it's absolutely beautiful. Um, never really imagined it to be quite as beautiful as what you told me. Mm-hmm. There was still part of me that just figured that we'd maybe sit on the porch and chew some corn and, you know, rock backwards <laughs> and forwards. <laughs> First of all, I don't even know anybody that chews corn. But I love the analogy, like, what do they do? Those rednecks in Alabama, they chew corn. <laughs> um, we did have some good conversation about that, though, that uh, th- there are some truth and stereotypes, right? So there are plenty of uh, really southern country people around here but um also uh not right and so tell me what else you've noticed about your day and a half here in uh the deep south so i think the first thing is that the traffic was amazing <laughs> as <laughs> just, in lack of <laughs> just getting here and not having to sit through absolute carnage um uh, it, uh, the people have been so so friendly there's a, quite clearly a community there's a there's a, a tight family feel that you really get from just wandering around um and the one thing i think that's really stood out is even you know heading off to where i'm staying you pass people and they say hello they smile at you they're actually nice people um i've obviously been to lots of different places all around america you know some very busy cities you know some more obscure places and i don't think i've actually experienced people being as friendly as they have here without hearing my accent first um Mm -hmm. you know places like um, Boston, you know, busy cities, um, you know, you'll start talking and then, oh, wait, lovely to hear your accent, where are you from? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas here, you get the nod and the hello before you've even opened your mouth. So that was quite nice. And obviously, it, it makes you feel comfortable, makes right. you kind of feel at home. Um, and then, you know, you sort of look at the natural beauty that you've got around you. You know, it's like a mini paradise, really. Mm-hmm. And it's not, in my mind's eye, what I kind of pictured when you think about Alabama. And I, and I think, you know, there's again back to the stereotypes. There is a stereotype of what perhaps you would perceive Alabama mm-hmm. to look like. Um, I certainly didn't envisage boats on the water, Lake mm-hmm. Guntersville, and just how spectacular it actually is. So delighted to obviously have had the experience firsthand. Well, and and we've already talked enough about you have to come back for a whole week now mm-hmm. to explore everything and bring the family, bring the fam. Um, what's what is the name of the town you live in in the UK? So I live in a small village called Austri. Um, Austri? Austri. So I- imagine you were um, spelling out Austria, and r- rather than the R-I-A at the end, it- it's R-E-Y. Okay. Um, so village has got a couple of thousand people that lives in it, and it's, a, it's on the outskirts of a town called Tamworth, which is where I spent you know, kind of the second half of my childhood which is an overspill of Birmingham. So effectively anybody that might want to commute to their job in Birmingham, um, but 
didn't perhaps want to live in Birmingham, spilled out into Tamworth. Tamworth grew, but Tamworth actually as a town, we were talking about this yesterday when we were out, um, has a castle that's like a thousand years old. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's got quite interesting history, but if you're actually from that place, you know, uh, as I guess is kind of the the, the nature for all of us when we're from somewhere, um, everybody's from somewhere, kind of don't think it's that interesting when you live there, but Mm -hmm. to others, it kind of has a bit of meaning and a bit of interest. Um, the village obviously, um, has a pub that you saw, right? um, and it's like 500 years old, has a thatched roof. And, uh, other than the church, we then have a post office to go to the pub. So a bit of quiet living, despite the fact that we could get to the train station in 10 minutes in the car and Mm -hmm. be in central London in an hour and 20 minutes. So kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. You're a little over an hour away from 10 million people, uh, yet you live in a village of by the way, village is way more cool than town or city. I think we should adopt that. Um, so when we were talking earlier about sort of your upbringing, um, we're going to save this for the longer podcast. Yeah. But you went to work very early. Yeah. You're only 31 now. Yeah. Um, how has it been? So you've been to the, this is going to be a long, a winding question. You've been to the States or North America, five times already this year. Yep. Have a young family, uh, two kids, 11 and five. Yep. Is that right? Right. Okay. And um, you live a pretty busy life. Um, how are you managing travel, young kids, entrepreneurship? I mean, you're growing a business. Uh, so, oh, by the way, a strategic partner of True. Uh, <laughs> um, but... How are you managing sort of the craziness that is your life right now? Um, I think, to be honest, it's, if, if, you, if you dial it back to where I started, how I started, um, started with an insurer, so fell into the industry. Um, I don't think anybody goes to school and says, you know, I'd like to work in insurance one day. You know, that's, that's not very many. I don't think that's anybody's no. dream. Um, and if it is, they need to dream bigger. <laughs> uh, but the, the dynamic of obviously, you know, getting into work, as young as I did, and, and obviously there are reasons behind that, you end up in a situation where you kind of are getting to grips with just acting like an adult. Mm. You know, at 17, you know, you go into the workplace and you kind of look around and you think, oh, you know, there's so many more people that are going to absolutely know way more about life, way more about doing the job. And I, I kind of very quickly got to grips with the fact that the job that I was doing was actually reasonably simple. Um, you could do it within the nine to five. And I guess at that time, you know, as I started to look around and really find, find out what I was capable of, you start looking at, okay, if you apply yourself and you work a little bit harder, how much further could you go? That then very quickly evolved into moving to go and work with Kishan. And obviously, um, you know, for all the folks at True, they've met Kishan in some capacity at one of the events. Um, Not but, enough have. Yeah. <laughs> More people need to meet Kishan. It's a real privilege to, to meet Kishan yes. and to hear him laugh is uh, another privilege. It is unmistakable. I'm oh, sorry to interrupt, but you know what we should get, Britt, is we need to get an audio clip of Kishan's laugh, of Kishan's laugh <laughs> and play it at just the most appropriate and inappropriate time. <laughs> uh, but sorry, carry on. Yeah. So we'll, we'll work on that. Um, so went to work for Kishan and I, I remember kind of going to what was kind of a job interview, but kind of wasn't. It was as much of, of a pitch to me as it as it was really them understanding kind of who I was and whether I was a good fit for their business, which was in its infancy at the time. Um, and I remember hearing, you know, two very distinct messages. Um, one is that, you know, you can grow here. The other is go to America. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think as, as a, you know, 19-year-old at the time, the concept of being in a business where you could be given the wings to fly, you know, mm-hmm. um, quite literally, um, you know, flying out to America, but also, you know, figuratively in your day job, I, that kind of excited me. So, you know, as I a, as a, as a got to grips with that role and where that business was heading and kind of understanding the big picture, um, I kind of started to broaden my horizons that, okay, look, actually, if you can go off to America and do what you do, my first trip was when I was 21. Just sitting in front of clients and prospects and which is amazing by the way yeah and, and I, I, thank you and i kind of never really figured it was amazing but now mm-hmm. i kind of look at other people who are 21 and i do sort of sit there and think oh wow i 
that age, this is what I was doing. So I am very grateful for kind of how quickly some of the growth came about for me. But I think, you know, I kind of then slipped into this world where going to America went from being very, very exciting. Um, and this thing that was, you know, to all of my family members and all of my friends, this wonderful, wonderful thing that I got to do for work to just becoming the norm. And I know that sounds like a little bit bad because mm. I'm so fortunate to have traveled so many different places, met so many wonderful people over the years that it, it kind of just amped up and I never really noticed it and took that, paid it that much attention, to be honest. Um, and then, you know, as the, as, as, as I started this business and as the business, you know, was again in its infancy, we had COVID to contend with, which was all of a sudden this major block on the thing that I'd done for pretty much the majority of my adult life, which was flying out to America and, Mm -hmm. you know, stirring the pot, so to speak, or, you know, literally shaking hands and getting to know people. And what I found was that during that period of COVID where we were literally banned from coming to the US Mm -hmm. was that it was actually such a big part of my life. It was a big part of my family's life. Cameron, who's um, my oldest, he just always knew that dad went to America. That was part of life Mm -hmm. for us as a family. Um, My wife, who I've been with for a long time, you know, was very accommodating of the fact that that again was just part of... um, what we did as a family, it was part of kind of my growing up and in, in order to provide for us um, and, you know, help us get to where we wanted to be. Where it was quite difficult was with Eva because she was born in um, 2017. I've got that right. Um, yes, 2017. Um, she obviously during the course of COVID was at quite a sort of a strange age. Um, you know, it was... It, it was wonderful for her to have me at home, but she kind of got very used to me being at home. So when the trips to America started back up again, they obviously had to come thick and fast because we were playing catch up on all of the relationships like True, mm-hmm. where we'd had a virtual relationship, but never really had the opportunity to really cement that in, in a personal format. And that's something that's, it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as, as time has passed since COVID, what we've come to realize is that it's such an integral part of the way that we do business and the relationships that you build are so much stronger if you actually see the whites of people's eyes and get mm-hmm. to understand who they are as a human being rather than a transactional Zoom call right. that takes 30 minutes and everybody does the pleasantries about the weather. So I think in answer to the question, it, it kind of, it just happened. Mm-hmm. And as, it, as it's just happened, we've kind of just adjusted as a family that that's our life. That's the way that we live life for, you know, good, bad or indifferent. I've got friends that I talk to where they do very different things and they say, well, I hate this about what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And I kind of slipped into that a little bit um, through the course of the back end of last year where I was kind of resenting the travel, resenting the jet lag. And actually at the recent True event, um, I've already told you this, but you know the nature of a conversation that I'd had whilst out for dinner was really around what what would you do if you could do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, you know, I kind of reverted to the well, you know, I played sports as a kid, um, you know, at a reasonable standard. I think it's fair to say. I'm like, look, you know, I, I actually would quite like to be in a sports team, you know, mm-hmm. physically at, in peak condition playing with, you know, essentially your pals, Mm -hmm. going out and competing. And everybody was like, yeah, but, you know, that's kind of like, that's dream stuff. Right. Let's take that out of the equation. What would you do? And I'm like, this, actually what I'm doing right now. We shared that. We shared that. Yeah. So I think with that in mind, you kind of then move to a better place with it and you accept that there are, always good parts and bad parts of everybody's lives, everybody's work lives. Um, I hate airports. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that yeah. I don't. Um, the whole experience is a little bit challenging. We're all grateful to get through security, mm-hmm. and I'm grateful to have um, TSA pre-clearance. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, the very nature of it is that, you know, if you want nice things in life and you want, you know, to see your family have a, you know, a good positive future in my mind's eye, you kind of have to go and do what you're good at. Mm-hmm. And this happens to be what I'm good at. Um, long winded answer, but you no, know, it's good. We you know we've spent, um, 
a day really just talking yeah about family uh friends work life um we've almost talked no real a little bit of business but not much yeah um so i'm gonna ask a business question or two okay uh, this is all practice anyway yeah nobody's gonna see it except we'll probably cut it up and send it out to everybody <laughs> um so oasis when i see myself pop up on the screen yes like old, you'll know old <laughs> yeah by the way i'm glad we could both dress up today um, so this is i'm going to detour a little bit when you sent me a text that said how smart should i be for the weekend gunnersville and i was a very smarty pants and i was like i mean above average intelligence at least not too smart so my 60 percent, i think was your yeah like 60 percent of your normal intelligence yeah and i was like i'm just kidding i, I was, I was grateful for that assessment to be honest <laughs> <laughs> i knew you're talking about dress are there any um other uh, there there's a bunch what comes to mind around words or phrases that are we just use so differently between the us and the uk that aren't swear words there aren't swear words there aren't swear words <laughs> there are swear words cuss words that we'd use that are very different in meaning to what you would use oh they're totally different yeah yeah so like you would we would have a so if kishan and i are talking um very casually as yes. friends and he would say to me did you get pissed that means did you get drunk oh it doesn't mean you're mad or angry whereas over here it means you're mad right. um so there are quite a few where actually they're, they're swear words. Right. You know, they're words that you wouldn't use in front of your children. Um, I think business-wise, um, there's a few. Um, the one that stands out to me is scheme. So we would always talk in the UK about a scheme being a plan, you know, as in a group life plan. Um, and it's quite a common term of reference. You know, you'd say, oh, a pension scheme or a group life scheme, you know, and, and, <laughs> right. and literally if you rolled that out to an American that you're talking to, they'd be like, are you, are you selling me some kind of Ponzi scheme? That's is right. this, is yeah. this going to be, you know, <laughs> you, you taking money from me and I never see you again. Um, so that there's, there's quite a lot actually that, that sits in the language barrier. And then, you know, there's the silly ones that, um, you know, Kishan always likes to, you know, point out where I don't think there's quite the language barrier. So I would say, you know, I picked up a hire car. I think everybody knows what I mean, but he always likes to say, well, Lewis, let me just remind you after, you know, 10 plus years of travel, you know, it's rental car. Right. Um, so there, there is, it is almost like two different languages at times. And you do have to kind of find yourself adjusting, but because I've done it for so long, it's almost hard off cuff to think what right. those words are. Mm -hmm. Um, like smart, you know, is, um, one of those that kind of, again, doesn't even enter my psyche until somebody says, smart, what do you mean? And oh, yeah, of course, you know, yeah. actually how, how formal do I need to be dressed? You right. know? So there's, there, there are definitely a few. And I think it's just the nature of the way that we do business because it's with Americans, mm -hmm. um, and our business is built exclusively off the back of dealing with Americans. We've kind of incorporated your language into ours. So we've ended up as a, you know, a UK based organization using Americanisms. Um, and that's something that's just kind of that's the nature of the beast. Right. If you spend enough time together, you know, there's, there's going to be crossover. <clears throat> there are some people at Intrepid Atlanta that have some Britishisms that I'm sure that they could, they could share having, you know, spent a couple of nights out with them. <laughs> right. Um, so it's, it's just the very nature of the beast that there are occasionally words that crop up and you're like, mm. does that? I don't think we're on the same page. That means something different. I'm going to start writing all of them down. There's a sketch in there. There's a, few, there's a future skit for us. Yeah. Um, okay. A real business question. We, we talked earlier about this, but, you know, we had talked on the phone a couple of times. I had met Kishan. Mm -hmm. I, I did not meet you until late January of this year. Yeah. Now, it seems like we've, you know, known, known each other for several years. We've come a long way. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's, we're not going to cry about it. Um, <laughs> But you developed a, a really immediate affinity for True Network. Yeah. And, you know, what created such, what are the moments that led from late January till today, you know, to create how much you enjoy being around True and the people, uh, you, you said some wonderful things about us. Is, was there a progression? Was it a bunch of small things? As much as you can remember, what created your feelings i think so the one i'll caveat all of this with kishan came to a couple of your events mm -hmm. 
and came back and waxed lyrical, mm. you know, and Kishan's a very enthusiastic person. Right. So sometimes you have to temper that enthusiasm and mm. maybe sort of suggest, well, oh, maybe this is just because Kishan went, right. and, you know, Kishan's saying the event that I went to is the best. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, kind of coming into the first event that I attended, I had some idea that it should be good fun. I'd spoken to lots of true people in advance. Um, you know, we've obviously done some business with some of the agencies. Um, but I think the, the thing that really blew me away was that, you know, up, upon arrival, you could kind of tell it wasn't an ordinary insurance-based conference. So the thing that really, really stood out for me was just the general kindness of the community, mm -hmm. the, the people themselves. Um, that started with playing golf. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky enough to play golf with, you know, a, a, a really good bunch. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people like Paul Vincent, very, mm -hmm. very warm and, and welcoming and, you know, a, I think it's fair to say Paul's at a different stage in his life to, mm -hmm. to what I am, um, but just super genuine um, and, you know, a genuine interest in who I was as an individual, what I had kind of um, been up to in my life. And we kind of got to know each other over 18 holes of golf very, very well, which mm -hmm. I think is sometimes uncommon. We've all been on the golf course with people that we can't wait to get away from. Yes. <laughs> so I think kicking things off with, that experience and even striking some balls um, before we actually went out to play. Some of the folks that I was chatting to, all very warm and genuine people. We go back into the bar, same experience, you know, where everybody's having a drink after having played around a golf. Um, and then we very quickly realized that we were running out of time and needed to get over to the opening reception. Mm -hmm. um, so I was one of those people that is, you know, <laughs> fashionably late right. um, in, in that occasion. So turn up. I'm dressed in golf gear mm -hmm. and actually didn't feel out of place at all because, you know, the nature of the event is that you, whether you do this knowingly, and I'm pretty sure you do, you want people to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. You want them to come as they are as human beings, you know, themselves. Mm -hmm. And that comes with a bit of identity, a bit of flair. Um, you know, some people obviously will naturally lean a bit more to dressing smart mm -hmm. or, or, or dressing mm -hmm. up. Um, others will actually go, Super casual. Um, I think as it happens, having been raised, you know, uh, in an environment, financial services in the UK through a certain period, I'd always been, you know, it almost been drilled into me like you, you, you will wear a suit, mm -hmm. and as a Brit in America, you will definitely wear a suit, and you'll put a necktie on. <laughs> so it's very refreshing to kind of come to an event where that absolutely wasn't the expectation, and then again, just a room full of people that genuinely showed an interest in kind of getting to know you. Like you're a face that I've either seen on camera and haven't met in person. So I want to say hello. Mm -hmm. I want to kind of be around you, make sure that I can introduce you to some people you've never met. And I must have spoken at that opening reception to 50 people, mm -hmm. which in, you know, what's opening reception like 90 minutes, two yeah. hours. Mm -hmm. um, that was quite a feat. And, I, and I'm not talking, you know, like passing like, hello, here's my business card. Let's, mm -hmm. you know, kind of maybe chat later about doing some business together. This was meaningful conversation where I'm passing from person to person. Great to see you. You know, it's lovely to meet you in person. Um, and again, just genuine interest from everybody, you know, to such an extent where people are saying, what are you doing for dinner tonight? Are you short of, you know, dinner? We'll, we'll take you to dinner with us if you like. Um, which just was absolutely amazing because I've been left at so many events, even as an outgoing person, um, where you find it hard to go and break down little clicks of people mm -hmm. and you definitely don't get a dinner invitation. Right. You know, there's almost like this snooty, like, you know, our, we've, we've shown our face, let's get out of here for our, mm -hmm. for our private dinner in a steakhouse that we've organized and, and blow this joint. Um, so I think, you know, opening two experiences of, of the first true conference that I came to was kind of so, so telling. Um, and then as we kind of worked our way through the content, was upbeat. It was very, very positive. We're in a position where, you know, the kind of people that I'm mixing with were like-minded, you know, everybody's mm -hmm. kind of happy to share. Um, they're happy to talk about themselves in a very, um, in a non-arrogant way. You know, mm -hmm. the number of times I've been to these kinds of events where people want to tell you how big their book is, how big right. their agency is, how big their ego is. There was kind of none of that. So right the way through the first conference, you know, from opening golf session, through to the bar on the last mm -hmm. night where I kind of maybe got to bed a little <laughs> bit late. Um, I made lots of friends. Right. And that was the thing that really stood out. And I kind of never chatted business to anybody mm -hmm. throughout the whole time that I was there. It was about connecting with people on a human level, 
um, doing some learning, um, understanding, you know, kind of, you know, people's pasts, where people are at kind of with what they're up to at the moment. People like Eric Ross, you know, mm-hmm. was um, dancing like an absolute lunatic on the stage, <laughs> which, you know, as a, as a fairly reserved British person was, yeah. was, 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 was a bit, out there, you know, I was I was worried for him until um, I actually got to meet him and realised that there's no worry at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, I made lots of friends, and I think you know, just the general refreshing nature of how you actively try and be different, and I think mm-hmm. that's that's it's a real credit to the organisation that the people actually come together and share that that vision. And I know that mm-hmm. kind of sounds a bit um, it sounds a bit corporate almost, yeah, but. There is actually just the shared culture that kind of passes around and swirls over people whilst they're there. And I think, you know, that was the that was my experience as I kind of experienced it mm-hmm. and felt it emotionally. Um, you know, and TLA was just, you know, everything that I'd experienced and more because right. there were more people there, more enthusiasm. Um, I think it's fair to say that there was more diversity mm-hmm. in TLA um, because you've actually got a group of people together that all do different roles. And mm-hmm. they represent their their own agencies in lots of different ways. Um, so the learning that actually takes place is just huge, but absolutely off the scale. Um, and it isn't. Let's give you an, an insurance legislative update on something that you could read about in in the press. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually content that's designed to make people better human beings and better in their work life. So um, again, long winded answer. No, and well, it it makes me feel great because a lot of the things that we we actively try to do are coming across. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we've tried, um, and I don't, this wasn't intentional in the beginning, but we've been more inclusive in the content and attendees. And I don't, I don't mean inclusive in sort of modern language, but it's many organizations like ours focus on the owners and the producers. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the primary uh, focus with networks or collaboratives. Um, you either have sort of these leadership ownership meetings or you have sales conferences. And oftentimes the people, what I would call the pistons that are running the, the business, the service folks, the account managers, the consultants, the operations directors, the marketing directors, um, uh, they get token appearances. Yeah. Um, you've, not, you've had a good year. You get to come along and maybe right. have a drink. Yeah. But it's not the focus. Uh, and TLA is, I think 65% of our attendees were service people. Mm-hmm. Um, which it skews younger, excuse more female. Um, Which is good, right? You it's know, wonderful. When, when you look at the environment that, you know, we've both worked in, and I obviously started young, um, you know, so I've kind of seen a bit of a different edge to people my age. You know, it's great to actually see that level of diversity in there. What's crazy, a lot of things, almost everything that's happened since COVID has been like, wow, well, I'll take it a step further. Many of the things in life where you have a good idea, you say, why didn't I think of that earlier? Yeah. That was so obvious. Yeah. You know, and so virtual events, to be able to reach everybody in an agency and engage them with enjoyment, learning, fun, all the, all the above. Yeah. Why weren't we doing that before? And then I look at the focus on account managers, AEs, whatever we want to call folks. It's like, well, that's crazy. Organic growth is sales and retention. Yeah. Like you have to retain your clients. Yeah. You can't just win at the front and it drop off no. the back. Yeah. So what? And by the way, future leadership, there's, there's tons of reasons why we should be focusing on the entirety of the agency, but it, sometimes it takes um, negativity and disruption, like forced disruption, yeah. like a pandemic. I think, uh, look, the, to be honest, though, we, we kind of pre-COVID had this way of working. Um, we'd have a polycom phone in the middle of the boardroom, mm-hmm. and the nature of the beast was that you'd kind of resist video calls because you kind of felt they were a bit silly. Um, you know, you jump on a conference call, you chew the fat with the client transactionally, and um, that was that. And you kind of all, almost felt like, why do we need to do some of those things? Because video calls kind of feel just a bit silly. Mm-hmm. And then with COVID, video calls became quite obvious. And I think actually we just have maintained that habit. So mm-hmm. because it entered people's psyche as just it's something that you do, you were then able to actually take that and amp it up and say, well, no, actually virtual event is something we're just going to keep. I'm not so sure it has the same effect if you don't have that disruptive moment mm-hmm. that really triggers, yeah, yeah, this is actually better for us. Um, we talked about it, obviously, from a, a, a work-life balance perspective. 
you know, for a lot of people, they're now able to work from pretty much wherever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, you know, I, I think I wouldn't be beating myself up about not doing <laughs> virtual virtual learning beforehand. Yeah, it's, well, it's just, I, I, I often wonder, we'll have this breakthrough idea and it's just like, hmm, that seemed obvious. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's continue on this a little bit. Um, we talked before. I had a, a quote one time I used and you said you, you shouldn't have kind of you laugh about it and you have used it before. I'm not exactly sure this is it, but it's something like white men in, in jackets eating steak. What yeah. was it? Was it jackets? What, how did I say that? Uh, it, was, it was white men who wear oh. suits eating steak. Yeah. Some, something along something those like lines. That. Yeah. White men in jackets eating steak. Yeah. But what I've used, what I mean by that is um, are, are a lot of finance um insurance are older white males yeah. who have reached a certain status in life that happen to wear jackets that go to steakhouses and you have a private room and you eat steak and you order the sides and an appetizer and you drink wine you talk about oh, i don't want to offend anybody here but you talk about your club <laughs> that you belong to nothing wrong with by the way with belonging to a club nothing wrong with that you talk about the trip that you took or the watch that you purchased or your car and I've been in so many of those in my career when I'm, I'm sitting there bored out of my mind. Yeah. And um, we've been really fortunate and true in that we started with a diverse ownership group, right? So of the first 19 agencies that joined True, there were eight or nine female-owned agencies. Yeah. And it's um, now that we have 80, there's 22 or something like that. Um, What's it like from an attendee's perspective um, to have a diverse group? I'm not, that, that may sound like a trite question, but I don't go to other industry events. Mm-hmm. So what's it like when you come to, you mentioned TLA earlier, that's our True Learning Academy, our signature event where like, everybody comes. Yeah. Right? Is it as different as pe- people tell me? Yeah, I think it's, it's hugely different. I think, you know... <laughs> When you think about the nature of the attendees, the nature of the attendees is everything. You know, you, you will know this because you will tailor your um, speakers, your content to be fit for the audience that, that you're inviting. I think, and we talked about this from a personal level over the course of the time that we've had together. You know, I kind of, you know, starting young, kind of always felt this real sense that, you know, I've got to perhaps suppress a little bit of my own personality. You know, I'm kind of in my twenties and I've got to mix with, you know, white men in suits who eat steak. Um, and it, it, it almost was very transactional. Transactional is kind of a good word. That's the nature of these conferences were a bit transactional. You know, somebody would stand up, they'd give a presentation, you'd roll into the next session, somebody else would stand up, give a presentation. And those presentations were all kind of angled towards a, a very, serious you know sort of nature um i think you know one of the things that you do a great job of is that you recognize the fact that your audience are current and future stars of the industry so people that are you know in in growth mode mm-hmm. um and i mean that from a personal level not not from a business level um and they need guidance in order to help them be better and be more thoughtful and actually um you know display the empathy that they need to display to understand clients and to be able to help clients. So I think your ability as an organization to actually have tailored your content to that diverse Mm -hmm. audience is part of the success. And as a result of, it's chicken and egg, isn't it? You know, did you invite all the attendees Mm -hmm. first and then start tailoring the the, the content? Um, I think being amongst the diverse group of people that, you know, being blunt about it is of a similar age to me Mm -hmm. is, is also kind of part of the, the wow factor um, because it isn't, you know, older white men who right. wear suits who eat steak. Um, so I think that the dynamic there is that you're accepting of this is what the future looks like and this is the content that we're going to build for those people because we listen to what they've got, you know, as, as challenges. And, you know, you're kind of very good at testing out what content is good, bad, and indifferent mm-hmm. through some of the other things that you do. 
Um, you know, things like, you know, your virtual academies. I'm sure you'll be able to record numbers of, you know, how mm-hmm. it's performed with speakers, et cetera. So I think in answer to your question, is it is it different to, you know, other events that I've been to without shadow of a doubt? And I think that boils back down to the recognition that that diverse audience that you want to continue to attract is just different to, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps the audience that others might be looking to attract. And that's not to take anything away from others and the way they do things because oh, sure. some people feel comfortable with that. Yeah. But I think you found a nice sweet spot in that, you know, you attract the right kind of person to true that's a good fit for true. And mm-hmm. um, as a consequence, you know, it all clicks into place. Audience, content, um, you know, and the feel of the actual conference itself. Other conferences will, you know, have their own audience, will have their own content, and will have the feel that the audience and content kind of helps to create. You know, it's interesting. You, you don't know this because we had a leadership call today. You were actually outside and I was in here <laughs> Having we have a leadership call each month where anyone within leadership in our agencies can dial in, and I have an interview similar to this except it's virtual. Mm-hmm. And we interviewed uh, Dave and Morris and Klein today, who have a, a management consulting team, leadership coaching management accelerator program. They're it's an unbelievable business. They're they're not going to be able to keep up with their growth because of who they are and how good they are. But one of the things we talked about today was how certain organizations, when they establish their culture. I think they've used the word prickly. Uh, maybe not. I'll come. I'll think about that. But it's like to be really good and excellent. Sometimes you have to be offensive. Like you have to offend some candidates that you're recruiting, or you may have to be offensive. We're talking about recruiting. But for example, um, he mentioned that Netflix has this. Uh, they only deal with a, a players, and they have such a competitive environment that if you don't want to be an A player and only be around A players, mm-hmm. be players don't make it. C players don't get in the door. Yeah. But even B players just can't survive in their environment. Yeah. Where you might have an old corporate, a more corporate company that says, uh, B player's fine. Mm-hmm. They know their role. They just want to show up to work. But that B player, they literally are appalled at Netflix's strategy. Yeah. Or um, uh, Dave worked with Ray Dalio at uh, Bridgewater. And they have, it, it's a very ruthless type of culture yeah and i mean on purpose where it's like every day is they call themselves the navy seals of the finance industry investment world and it made me think about the true culture and that we are not very attractive to those very wide man eating steak people yeah and i I, that is a terrible analogy uh granted but it paints a picture worth but if someone is only interested in going to an event and learning insurance content yeah and they really want to be spend two full days being educated around i mean granular insurance training and they don't like concerts and fun and music and a little humor from the stage they're going to be almost repulsed by us yeah they're going to be like i don't want to be part of that yeah and i think that's great having the self-awareness to know that that's who we are yeah because there is a hundred percent of place for that person that doesn't want that totally. it doesn't mean it doesn't mean they're a bad person no it, it just means that that's actually what they're more comfortable with that's right um and i think you know when when I think about the diversity of the people that are within True, you, know, you look at True Learning Academy, it, without being, you know, kind of too political, but, you know, I, I am white and male, um, you know, and I work in an industry that we've, you mm-hmm. know, just agreed as predominantly being, you know, white and male. You've heard Val's quote that has now gone rampant in our industry, that, um, that it's male, pale, and stale. Yes. Yeah. So we are not... Stale. <laughs> and you're not very pale. <laughs> <laughs> That's Brit's lighting that does that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, when, when you think about the, the nature of self-awareness and, and thinking about how you can positively impact the industry, the environment that you're working in, um, being able to talk to people about real issues and being able to talk to people that it kind of affects, you know, so you mentioned the fact that there are lots of females, you know, within True and, you know, female leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to talk to them about, you know, the challenges and experiences that they've had through the course of their career and actually learning from it is incredibly useful, you know, because it actually gives you perspective. Because again, you know, recognizing that, you know, I am white and male mm-hmm. um, means that, you know, you kind of have one perspective on things and having the awareness to be able to talk to people about what their lives look like, 
what challenges they've had in their lives. And again, it isn't all just about business. It's about, you know, where they grew up, how they grew up. You talked a little bit about, you know, the kind of influence of your environment in a recent podcast, but the nature of being able to mix with those people gives you a different perspective. And I think that the challenge that we have is that within, within our industry, we kind of have had a period of, you know, for a long period of time, just doing things the way that they'd mm-hmm. always been done. So I think, you know, there's a, there's a real sense of sharing again that mm-hmm. I kind of took away from a couple of the events that I've been to where people are happy to talk, happy to talk about mm-hmm. themselves and be themselves. And understanding that actually the, a lot of the work that we do is with individuals, we're people, mm-hmm. we're, we're actually not robots. And, um, you know, understanding the people that you're working with, understanding the challenges that they've been through helps you to grow as a human being and helps you to be better. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably then also tags into the fact that the true events are designed to help you be better, just holistically, mm-hmm. not just let's talk about how you sell health insurance or, you know, what you're going to do with your client when they are a client. It is around, you know, putting your mindset into growth mode and being around people that share that mindset and share that that sense of wanting to be better. And I think that kind of extends to lots of different topics. And I've had lots of really robust conversations with people about some very, very random subjects since mm-hmm. I've been to true events. So again, that's kind of just part of the underlying culture that you that you have within True and the people that are there. And I think, you know, there are some people that are comfortable with that and mm-hmm. some people that, you know, are never going to be comfortable with that and would never have the types of conversations that perhaps we've had. So, yeah. Um, we were talking about your business a little bit mm-hmm. and sometimes the challenging, um, the challenges you face in brokers communicating what you do and how you work. Um, and I was thinking about this, <laughs> setting up someone for a referral should be the easiest thing in the world. And we overcomplicate this all the time. Yeah. Uh, you guys are an international benefits consulting firm. Is that fair to say? Yep. And you can work in most any country yep. in the world. Yep. In the world. That sounds like such a big area. <laughs> um, why do you think brokers or advisors struggle introducing you into a client or a prospect conversation? So I think there's a few things that stand out. So the first is a lack of understanding, you know, be it that we make it too complicated, be it that they make it too complicated in their own mind, um, or that they think that it's a bit more transactional than it actually is. So the number of times we get phone calls where it's like, look, my client's going into India and I've already predetermined that you're going to find them a quote for Indian health insurance. Like, no, stop. We need to take a step back. Um, so I think lack of understanding is probably one. Um, being a control freak is another. And look, you know, I absolutely don't blame people for this, where there's not that implicit trust that only really gets created over the course of a period of time working closely with us. Um, clients sometimes, uh, agencies are sometimes a bit fearful of putting clients on the line with us and saying, look, Go talk about a topic that I have, have absolutely no understanding of with my client and let's hope it goes well. Um, and I, I think, you know, the third and, and final one just boils down to um, a laziness, if I'm honest. I think some people actually would rather just say to their clients, we don't do that. Mm. Um, much to their detriment, as, as I think we've seen um, in the past. I think, you know, you've seen, um, you know, yourself that there have been instances where agencies have popped up over the years and said, lost this client, did nothing wrong. But actually, I just didn't talk about the fact that we could have helped in this certain area. So I think with with those three things in mind, you know, the one thing that we've kind of, you know, decided between us um, in the time that I've been here is that we obviously need to simplify the messaging, make sure that people have a really clear understanding of kind of how the referral type conversation should go. Um, what are the outcomes from that conversation? So how, how is it going to effectively um, end for the client? Um, and what's the intervention going to look like from us? Um, I, I don't think I can do anything about lazy, lazy people until they actually experience that loss for the first time, and then they learn. Um, so, yeah, I think that the key challenge for us is just making sure that we make the message as simple as possible to help people understand that 
we're just their go-to mm-hmm. for global benefits, no matter what the intricacy of the topic. Um, come talk to us. Mm-hmm. And, th- and the nature of the beast is that we don't behave like lawyers. Um, we aren't product orientated, so we're not trying to instantly sell people something. And number one goal as as a business is to make sure that for our partners who we work closely with, we represent them well. And representing them well isn't actually chasing down a check. Representing them well actually is making sure that the client has a reasonable pathway for a solution. Um, and the reason I say a reasonable pathway is that, you know, we're not going to work for free. <laughs> if there is substantial work for us to do, we need to obviously get to a point where we have got engagement from that client and we've got a formal agreement with them. But, you know, just getting to the point where people understand that they can turn to us as a resource, they can pick up the phone to us and say, hey, look, I've got a client and they're shipping some people in from a different country into America. You tell me about that country. Tell me what the people are likely to be up against when we put them on the US benefits. Um, So it kind of doesn't matter which country or where, what does matter is that people don't start to layer in their own interpretations of what they think should happen. You know, almost just start at the point that looks like a BAS type referral. Mm-hmm. We should probably start talking to them. Yeah. It seems, I've said this to our True Network members, that um, when you think about sales and retention, from a sales perspective, uh, on all your capabilities presentations are theirs to have international benefits as a, a strength of the firm. Yeah. Not as a, oh, by the way, we do this. Yeah. This is a strength. On all of the renewal presentations, on every single renewal presentation, there should be a question. Are you or do you plan to be uh, or plan to expand internationally? Yeah. Uh, because when you pick up those, you're going to pick up folks who you did not know were planning or there's an acquisition. And for you to get ahead of that, or identified on the sales side when nobody else is asking, um, that seems like it, it should be easy. And it's just not. Um, but it is. Yeah, I think people make it hard. And, and so I've always, people used to always ask me, um, when, I, when we had our agency, and we would work with those referral sources, and they would say, tell me what to say when I'm asking someone about their, say, their health insurance. They wanted to be experts. I would just say, just evangelize us. Yeah. Right. Tell that prospect. We have the best benefit consulting firm in the United States in our office. I would like you to talk to Scott. I promise you, you will not feel like you wasted your time. Yeah. That's it. You don't have to know anything. I'm going to steal that completely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's open. I've said it a thousand times in my life. A thousand. Like all people have to do is evangelize that they, we have the best internal benefit, international benefit consulting firm in the country yeah. at our disposal. And by the way, they are also independent part of ours. Yeah. They have no prejudice as it comes to product or solutions. Um, and you can either walk them through. Yeah. You guys do a ton of work for free. Yeah. Because that's what leads to your paid work. Yeah. And by the way, let me address this head on. People have to be stop worrying about fees so much. You guys are doing such good work. People will salivate to pay to get the problem solved because yeah. it's so valuable to their business. As a matter of fact, they should be probably charging more sometimes. Yeah. I think the way that I think about fees from our perspective is that it brings about transparency and um, transparency shouldn't be something that you're scared of. Um, you know, from a client perspective, what they're actually buying is they're buying um, sleep insurance. Mm-hmm. So they know that if they work with us, they're going to ensure that things are set up correctly, that they know what they need to know. Um, you know, What's, what's actually worse is if they choose to go a different route, you know, tap it into Google, end up coming up with the wrong, um, you know, outcome for them as a business and get a fine from a regulator somewhere. Now, you know, our fees are not huge. Um, we actually think that our fees are really reasonable. And, and actually, I know that they're reasonable compared to the rest of the marketplace. Um, and the nature of the way that we operate is that we want to ensure that clients are educated to make good decisions. We're not there just to flog products, as, as you mentioned. Um, we are there to make sure that they have the right information to, hand, to make the right decisions for their organization. And sometimes that involves paid work, and other times it involves, why would you do this? This is just the easy answer. It's taken me five minutes of my time to listen and understand what you're saying to me, and here's the answer. Just go do it. So. I think, you know, you're absolutely right. Fees shouldn't be something that scares people. It's actually something that just makes a relationship clean. It helps people's understanding. 
I'm talking about your events. We talked a little bit about this. One of the things that I've been struggling to articulate a little bit to our strategic partners, I actually said this to you, you you're making the decisions, you're writing the check. So mm-hmm. it's very easy to talk about this with you. Yeah. But many of our strategic partners, it might be a payroll or a Bintech provider or a carrier where the actual salesperson that's coming to the event is not the decision maker on to sponsor or how much to sponsor, yep. how much to invest as a resource. And at our True Learning Academy, I had numerous uh, of our strategic partners come up to me and say basically the same thing. This was the best event I've ever been to. It's going to make me a better salesperson. Um, I learned so much. It's like, even if I wasn't here selling, I was trying to get entrees into these agencies. It's just worth me coming to this event. Yeah. So I'm unabashed. I'm just transparently asking you to help me sell this to our other partners. <laughs> Talk about the value of the, of the true events, the content that we have in the speakers above and beyond sort of the sales opportunity yeah. to try to grow your practice. Yeah. So I think the one thing that I think about is what are the takeaways that I could take independently, you know, from the conferences that, that I go to. And, you know, generally you'd always kind of have the attitude, well, if I take one thing worthwhile, and that, that's kind of a little bit sad. You know, you come, you spend three days, you get one thing that you take away as, you know, the only meaningful thing. And you, that, that sounds like you've done a pretty bad job at the time, to be honest. Um, I felt that all of the speakers that you had were very, very impactful and very meaningful. Um, we talked about Jesse Cole and the nature of the, the, the way that he runs his particular organization, but the crossover of the message of how you can behave and interact with people and creating fans right the way through to Jim Vanderhei, you know, the Politico background. We're talking about two very, very different businesses. And if you've got a positive business brain and you, you're keen to learn, you're going to find opportunities within those sessions to actually enhance whatever job you do. You don't have to be a business owner to show an interest in how you can have a positive impact on the business that you work for. So I think a lot of the content that you actually have is not, it's not industry specific. And that's kind of the important theme. That's the reason why so many people have come away from it and actually enjoyed it because it isn't just, you know, a square peg into a round hole, as we might say. Um, you know, trying to find some relevance to the healthcare industry. It is actually messaging that, again, back to my earlier point about helping people grow, um, you know, it, it puts you in a position where as individuals, they can take something from it that will have a positive impact on the job that they do. Um, if it was up to me and, you know, money was no object, I'd, I'd bring my whole team, um, you know, but for flights being, you know, expensive and long trip taking everybody out of the office and having nobody to, to man client work. You know, I literally would bring the whole team. Um, one of the things that we did is shared um, one of the sessions that was shared virtually as a recording to our whole team. Um, so, you know, the nature of the sessions aren't industry specific. They're actually, you know, again, growth orientated. It's about, you know, helping people to be better at what they do and be able to take the messages and apply it to what they do. Um, I think it's the nature of where it's hard is that for somebody who's a you know salesperson working for a specific type of business to go back to their boss and say I, I sat through this wonderful session, you know the the, the the cynical person in me might sort of look and say uh, their boss might say to them well why weren't you selling? <laughs> um, you sat through that wonderful session, but you know could you have been selling to some more people? And that's kind of not the way that true works. Um, and, and I kind of think that anybody that, that takes that approach, you know, probably isn't going to last that long as a strategic partner. So I would encourage all strategic partners where possible to send as many people as they can. Firstly, because it actually helps your profile of get, getting around the, the true folks and building those relationships. It, you know, you don't typically go to these events and sell products to people. You really don't. Um, so the more people that you have to actually have come along and enjoy themselves, enjoy the content, enjoy the relationships that they can build with with true folks, the better that that, that is for you. And from a selfish perspective, you know, we we look at it as if we come to True Learning Academy, for example, we might get to see 80% of your agencies in one room, one room. So literally we make the trip, one set of flight costs, one set of hotel rooms. Um, you know, 
many, many bar tab bills. Um, <laughs> you get to capture all those people in, in, a, in, a, in a single event, which for me, if you're getting all the good content as added value, why wouldn't you be there? Why wouldn't you send as many people as you could literally allow the business to send? Um, so personally, I take a lot away from the sessions. They're very, very good. They're, they're very robust. They apply, you know, to business in general, not just, you know, an agency's business. It is just, you know, good business advice. Um, I've said to you personally about the book that I read, um, by Phil Knight, Shoe Dog, which I think you should read. Um, again, similar kind of book, you know, I, I work in a business that does global benefits and I read a book about, you know, sneakers. Um, but some of the lessons that you learn from reading that book actually helps you in your day-to-day business life. True Learning Academy is, is exactly the same. You know, there are two, th- two very different things around that. Number one, I really didn't think about how different Jesse Cole and the Savannah Bananas presentation is from Jim Vandehei and Axios. Jim Vandehei doesn't try and make me dance. No, he does not. He does not. <laughs> Although he, was on a, he did have on a Grateful Dead t-shirt when I first met him. Um, I think that does that is pretty indicative of what we're trying to do is to provide diverse, interesting content that helps people grow. Um, and I did have a, a bunch of those, a bunch of salespeople that came up to me and were like, this, you know, because we do have sales content that sells the sales. And so we're trying to help producers grow as well. Salespeople have to do salespeople. Salespeople things. have to do salespeople things. Um, <laughs> they do. Um, so tell me about the rest of your trip. So you, you're, you leave here tomorrow yeah. morning. Yeah. And you're going to Atlanta. Yeah. So literally uh, exchanging messages with Maggie Quinn. Um, I found that I need to be awake at 6 a.m. in the morning. Okay. Right. Sure that I'm getting to Atlanta for a 10.30 meeting. Mm-hmm. So a couple of meetings to do in Atlanta. And then I think um, I've got a happy hour maybe with the Intrepid Atlanta team. I, I, I never really know. It's, there's some obscurities in there where, you know, <laughs> It's kind of like just turn up and be there, and we'll you know like we'll have a good time. Um, I think followed up by some baseball. Going to a Braves game. Going to a Braves game. Um, we talked yesterday about the concept of um, slow sports not necessarily being my first sport of choice, um, but I'm sure we'll have a great time. I really think it's going to be more like a party with a game in the background. Yeah, that's kind of the impression that, that I get. Um, so got that, and then Friday it's a case of flying back through New York to actually make my way home. Um, you know, for, um, for my sins, I actually figured it would be a good idea to actually do flights that weren't direct, um, figuring that essentially coming down here, there's definitely not going to be a flight that's direct from London. Mm-hmm. And even going from London is not exactly close to home. Um, so I've got a little bit of a journey to get myself home. Um, we'll actually land back in the UK on Sunday morning. So, um, yeah, quite a busy journey. And do you already have your next trip to North America planned or is it open in a- Yes. So the next trip to North America is actually for um, Oasis. Oh, August 28th through 30th. Combined with uh, passing through Boston and then home via New York. So again, getting some meetings done. I think the intention is that every time we come, we try and make sure that we can make the time here as meaningful as possible. You know, back to the earlier conversation that we had, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy doing, you know, five trips in five months. So, you know, I'll, I'll get a couple of months grace at home after this trip. Um, but obviously, as we head towards Q4, the trips do lighten up because typically folks don't want to see us. You know, they're, they're in the thick of renewal season with their clients. So it's kind of the last window of opportunity to really catch people in a meaningful way um, at the back end of the summer. And then I think there's, there's one more trip laid in there where I'm heading down to Austin, Texas in October. So um, I'll finish up the year relatively light compared to the way I started the year. Um, but the trips get mapped out pretty early. And, you know, for example, I've already got my flights booked for January for owner's meeting. Right. Um, so we try and map it out as best as we can, as early as we can. And inevitably, you know, despite me trying to avoid being in America all the time, I end up still having to, you know, layer in trips in between. So. Well, with that, some things that I heard, uh, well, also Val and I decided last night at trivia, we have a local uh, Tuesday trivia night that Lewis. Uh, by the way, we that's not talking we about terrible. terrible. <laughs> we decided we're going to come to the UK late January, early July. Late June. Late June, 
early July. I said late January, early yeah, July. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're staying with you January for six months. January to July, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, late June to early July. Um, and then there's several other times we'll see each other, so that's going to be cool. Yeah. And we still have uh, a great dinner tonight. Yeah. We've got drinks on the lake. Yeah. And then um, so you're leaving a little bit early, so yeah. after tonight, I won't see you. When's the next time I'll see you? Um, probably Oasis, actually. Oh, so in late August. Yeah. So that's not bad at all. Not long at all. Um, but no, look, it's been an absolute pleasure and appreciate the time that I've obviously been able to have, you know, coming out here somewhere that, you know, but for knowing you, um, I'd never visited. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to be. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>